Good evening, Anchorage, Alaska, the lower 48 and the rest of the world. This is Bruce Lindquist with his podcast, Wonderful Counselor. The title of this mini-series is The Preacher's Kid That Fought Like the Devil. If you haven't listened to episode one, The Prayer, I encourage you to do so. Right now, we are on episode nine. It's titled, The Unforgivable Sin. I want to start this episode with the question, what is your unforgivable sin? Let me rephrase that. What would someone do to you or someone you love that you couldn't forgive them for? You see, regardless of your religious beliefs or your ideologies, there's something you would find unforgivable in yourself and in others. If you don't know, by the time this podcast is over, I believe you'll be able to answer that question. And when you do, that will lead you to the most important question a human can ask. It's time now to use that God-given imagination of yours. You've all seen an early morning sunrise. I invite you to experience this one. The sun continued to rise, coloring the once darkened landscape with at first shadows, then soft tones and hues of color, as the night awakened from its slumber like it has since the dawn of creation. The lone cross held together by metal nails reflected in the light symbolizing the greatest sacrifice love ever given when the Son of God hung on it with pain too horrible to imagine and love too great to fathom. The large lawn where the church service was held was composed of a congregation from three churches that were burnt down with dragon's fire. In attendance was about 300 people composed of men and women and children and of of course Shadow and Sadie, and their friend Molly of the Canine Persuasion. What was different about this service, it it was held in rural Alabama, it's in the mid-50s, and the entire congregation was black, except two of the labs. It is important to understand large groups of black people were considered a threat, whether in church or not, back in that day. But the burning down of their churches didn't keep them apart, No, the Holy Spirit brought them all together. If you've been following the last episode, The Return of the Dragon's Fire, you know the Holy Spirit just fell on these believers, and they are face down on the ground. And that's where we pick up in tonight's episode. Reverence covered the atmosphere, and there was God's presence that demanded without words holiness, awe, and wonder. They all were as silent as an empty grave left by the risen Christ. How long they were on their knees, that wasn't the purpose of the Spirit descending. It was to have them stop being preoccupied by their differences and to seek the kingdom and to follow Christ. First, though, the Holy Spirit had some temple cleaning to do, and it was just like God the Father to choose these unusual suspects. Big Bo, who has just turned 10, was the first to notice the lifting of the glory of God and stood up. Eventually, the whole congregation could move and speak. The worship was that for the ages. They all gave glory to God. Big Bo, full of the Holy Spirit, continued to watch the small family approach, getting closer and closer to the congregation. Big Bo's Bo's voice was booming. Welcome, he said to the man, woman, and their daughter. The contrast between the holy moment and the unholy response was like heaven and hell colliding. For this man was hated, 
So many of them knew him well, and those who didn't knew his reputation, and the murmuring started. What is he doing here? The con contrast couldn't be more apparent. All of them were black, and the man and his wife and daughter were white as the clan sheet he used to wear. Many in the crowd turned to him and started yelling as if demons were leading an unholy choir. Some even started to rush at them, gnashing their teeth. Big Bo went down, stepped between the family and the crowd with his dog Shadow. Big Bo couldn't help think of the time when Jesus stood between the religious mob and the woman caught in adultery. The similarities were staggering. Big Bo escorted the family to the front of the crowd where the cross was located and motioned to all the people to be at peace. The man named Wade held his head down. Tears filled his eyes. He was genuinely repentant. He spoke to the crowd. I know I have terrorized many of you and your families. I've burnt down more crosses on lawns than I can count. I've sported lynchings and beatings. Not only that, did I not stop them or look the other way, but I also participated in them. And I'd done this for years, hiding under the coward's white sheet and hood. I've taught children to hate you, all because of your color. And I've literally danced on your loved one's grave and spit in the face of your children. I've been the leader in church that preached love from the pulpit on Sunday mornings and lived in hate the rest of the week. Hell, me and some of the church members burnt down your houses and then we drank from our communion cup because we thought it was the right thing to do. You were marked by the sign of Cain, or so we thought, but I was the one who was Cain, and I slew you as my brother Abel. I could right now go to the police, go to that chief and make up some story, and he would believe me over any of you, and you'd be arrested. I know I've done it in the past. I have set on mock trials, watched your loved ones hauled off to jail, knowing what awaited them. Many would not return, or if they did, if they did survive, they wouldn't be the same again. Now you have every right to fear me and hate me, but I don't come to have you locked away, tortured, or killed. Even though I believed in my heart that's what God I worshipped and was serving would have wanted me to do. I was deceived. I made up this God in my own image. I can't repay any of you for the harm I caused you. I want you to know those days are over, regardless of how you respond to what I have to say. You see this family before you? I have beaten my wife and child. I have worshipped at the feet of the bottle. I've been known in this parts as a righteous man for the mask that I wore at church. But I am the chief of all sinners, or to say, I was. You see, God showed me a path that I was on, and where it would lead, and he met me there. I begged him to keep this hatred from destroying those I love, and I renounced the dragon's fire. That same fire of hate I now see in some of your eyes towards me. Jesus met me, and do you know what he did? He took it away. And when I surrendered my life to him as Savior and Lord, I was forgiven. And I saw for the first time who I was, and God was, and I wept before him. I just came back from church with my family, where I confessed my adultery, hypocrisy, and drinking, being a wife and child beater. 
I placed my clan robe on the altar. I then came here because the Holy Spirit told me to, and my life is not my own anymore. Here I am now, repenting before you. He got down on his knees and asked for their forgiveness. Lily Wade's wife stood up and went to the front. She shared, This man who is in front of you, I do not recognize. The man I had married all those years was so full of pride, if you disagreed with him, it was an offense and he would have beat you. I have been beaten so badly in this drunken rage that I've lost two children when pregnant. I tried many times unsuccessfully to protect my daughter from him when I wasn't enough. That man is now dead, and this man has been made new in Christ, and I have forgiven him. It's not by my strength, but by God's Holy Spirit. See, there's nothing redeemable about him, but that cross you see means there's no one who God can't redeem through the blood of his son. Little Sarah got up. She was seven, full of Holy Spirit, and she joined her family. She looked at the crowd. She tore her dress in the back and showed the crowd the deep scars on her back. Many of the crowd wore the same scars. She said, my little body carries wounds from my dad inside and out. I did not ever think I would be able to forgive him. I hated him. I didn't want him dead. I wanted him to suffer the most agonizing death possible. I watched him in a drunken rage hobble our poor dog. And finally, after begging him to shoot our friend, so he wouldn't suffer, he did finally pull the trigger. This man is not my dad that I have known. He is a new creation, and we as a family are going to follow Christ. I know many of you believe he has committed the unforgivable sin, but if I can forgive my dad for raping me all those nights, so can you. Judgment was on trial this morning, and mercy was on the throne. Grandpa the old preacher joined the family and said, Wade, I knew you as the son of the devil. What you did to our family and some of my brothers who are now in heaven because of you, I know now you as my brother in Christ, and I forgive you because God forgave the inexcusable in me. Big Bo approached Wade. We both were given a vision of our hate the dragon's fire would take us on. I forgive you as well, Wade. And at the same moment, Big Bo, in his heart, forgave his alcoholic dad who killed his mom earlier in the year and forgave himself for putting a shotgun shell through his drunken dad's head. The church service that day was a living, breathing passage of James 5.16. Confess your sins for healing. The congregation was broke before the Lord. Many came down confessing their sins before repenting. By the time the sun went down, the Lord had cleansed his church. There wasn't one person who didn't come clean to become clean. At the cross were bottles of alcohol some of the men were drinking during the service. So many tears, so many sins left at the cross. So many secrets revealed. This day, the body of Christ became healed. The crowd made sure they left before sundown not to be arrested for breaking curfew. And for the first time, many of them were not just religious, but born again. Shadow, Sadie, and Molly went up to Wade. He had tortured and killed their friend, Old Rex. Instead of biting Wade's face off like Shadow wanted to do, he looked at the cross. 
and on all their dogs' hearts they forgave Wade. And they allowed him to hug their necks and to soak in their fur his tears. After the congregation left, Grandpa invited the little family to dinner at the house. They were all were with Wade, Lily, and Sarah, Grandpa, Adon, Yvette, the three boys, and the three dogs, enjoying each other's company. Grandpa was alone after the meal with Wade as Yvette was getting to know Lily, and Josh and Sarah were out playing on the tire swing. Grandpa said to Wade, You are now public enemy number one for the clan, but most of the police will not protect you, and by now your church has disowned you. Wade said, Yeah. Probably lost his job as well. But it doesn't matter. He was forgiven by God and by some of his body in the body of Christ. Hell's fury could be waiting for him on earth, but he knew heaven's gates were open to him for the first time. Yvette entered the room and said to Wade, I don't think it's safe for your wife and daughter to go home right now with you. Stay in the house tonight. We have a little more space. Wade was grateful and agreed and accept the invitation for his wife and daughter. However, he needed to return home to get a few things, and he left. Wade walked down the hill, followed the crooked road to the culvert, followed the creek to the park, and then the trail in the forest that came to the driveway. As he suspected, no one was around. Word of his betrayal would generate a meeting on the mountain of the clan. He had a small window of time to accomplish his mission tonight. He went into his house and traced the stairs to his wife and his bedroom. And as he entered, he was not alone. It was not just God who could give visions. It was darkness's turn. And the messengers of hell flooded him with memories of everything he thought and did to his wife. The graphic images were more than just brutality to her. He was feeling it. It was like he was beating himself as well. As he watched, he saw what he didn't see before, her losing both babies in a pool of blood that almost cost her her life. He fell on his knees and begged God to deliver him. And angels did spiritual warfare. It was so intense, but he was able to cling to Christ as in his sanity depended upon it. He then got up, loaded all his wife's things into boxes, her jewelry and clothes, personal care items, especially those things she treasured, the old worn marriage book her mom had gave her, her wedding dress, and the rocking chair she rocked Sarah in. He went through all the rooms but one and loaded everything into the back of the pickup. He then, with his body shaking, walked towards his daughter's room and opened the door, and a jolt of electricity shot through his body, like a condemned man on the last moment of his execution. All the nights he used her little body flooded his mind. He could hear her muffled cries, and when she got older, her silent screams. He fell to the floor again, this time not asking for deliverance, as the demons swirled above him and around him. No, he begged God to let him die. The hours of torment filled his mind until he cried out to the Lord, Just let me finish my mission. Please. And with that his mind cleared, and the demons remained there, but at least they were silenced. He got up and loaded his daughter's clothing, her bedsheets, her toys, and all kinds of things that mattered to her, and placed them in the truck. 
He went back into the house and got food items, his weapons, his supplies, anything he could think of. He secured many of the items with bungee cords in the back of the pickup and the fragile dishes in the back seat of his truck. He then drove back to where his wife and daughter were staying. He knew these roads like the back of his hand and where the curfew checkpoints were located, and he bypassed all of them by taking back roads. And then he reached his destination. As he drove up the hill, he parked the truck in the garage. He went back into the house where his wife was waiting and his little daughter was asleep. He cuddled with his wife and said, I do love you, and they both fell asleep. It was about 1 a.m. He was seeing men in white sheets passing around his wife and daughter for their pleasure, saying to him, we're doing this to them because you betrayed us. He woke up breathless. He knew he was putting all their lives at risk, and his family was at great danger. They had suffered so much at his hand, there was no way he would let them suffer again. He got up and got dressed, kissed his sleeping wife, and then his daughter on the cheek, like a real dad would, as she rested on the small portable bed, and then he slipped out of the house. A few hours prior, on the mountainside, the clan had met. The wizard, the leader of all the clans, just happened to be in attendance. He walked to the front of the unholiest of crosses and said, Boys, your leader Wade is a traitor to the clan. He swore blood to blood that he would honor and fulfill his position. He did well for years. Hell, he could have been my successor. Now I have to rethink my retirement plan. No one is more full, was more full of righteous hatred for these spawns of Cain than Wade was. Yet sadly, those days are gone, and there is the potential for others to defect from out of the brotherhood. I swore to Almighty God, I will not let this happen. His position of leadership is now vacant. I know many of you have been eyeing to wield that power. This is now your opportunity. It rarely happens. Usually you're a clan leader until you're in the grave and you're taken to heaven where no colored person is allowed. So I want, you, I want to know, is there a man out there who is ready, or are you all like little boys wet in your pants in fear of what I'm asking? Russ stepped forward and said, I'm not a boy. I feel his betrayal more than any of you because we were childhood friends. The old wizard looked at Russ. You know what has to be done, and you know how it needs to be done, in such a way that no one would ever leave the clan again. Are you really prepared to do that? Because if you fail, I will consider it a betrayal to the clan and to me personally. And as God is my witness, you will wish your mama never met your daddy. Russ looked at the wizard and took off his hood for a moment and said, May it be done to me a thousand times worse if I do not carry out the ritual to the fullest. The old wizard smiled through his hood. Then take some of the boys with you, these men with you. Oh, Russ, you do this right? and you are the new leader of this chapter of the clan. All of you in agreement, said the wizard. Everyone said amen. Wade walked back to his home, and off in the distance he saw the cross on the front lawn. It was not like the one he repented before earlier. This one was on fire. It used to be his signature card of terror. Now it was his invitation to consequences of his betrayal. There were no clan men to be seen, but he cautiously waited. He snuck to the back of the house. No one was there. He sat down on his couch and put his feet up on the footstool and waited and waited and waited. Eventually, he heard the sound of trucks pulling up in the driveway. 
and five hooded figures emerged. There was a knock on his door, and one of the men said, Hey, Wade, you colored people lover, are you home? Wade said, Doors open, Russ. Is that you, George, Sam, Kenny, Johnny? The men came in and sat in their chairs surrounding him. Wade had known these boys for years. Hey, we grew up together, blood for blood, remember, said Wade. Russ, who was the leader of the group now, looked at Wade and said, Whatever we had as friends, blood to blood, as you say, you've thrown it all away today. Johnny said, well, there's a way you can return. You know those colorful people you're cozying up with? Maybe if you terrorize them, that would be proof. Maybe we'd let you back in then, you know, run them over with your truck. Maybe raping one of them, burning down their house. And he said, you'd have to do all three for me to trust you again. Wade looked at those who used to be his friends and could see the dragon's fire burning in their eyes. I'm done with terrorizing these folks. I'm not asking for the robe back, nor do I intend to do anything to be back in the clan, said Wade defiantly. Well, said Russ, you don't give us much choice. Wade looked at the men and said, I will make a deal with you. I will take whatever punishment you deem necessary, but I need your word my wife and daughter are not to be touched. Russ said, you mean you want what we were going to do to them to be done to you as well? You won't run away? No, said Wade. I'm willing to go with you. Russ and the other men said, well, we'll put the word out. They won't be harmed in any way. And the men prepared the ritual and Wade waited. At the local sheriff's office, Monday morning, a black man about 45 who attended the church service Sunday named Clem was at the sheriff's store. Unlike those who dropped their stones, like when Jesus said the words, You without sin cast the first stone, he had not. He held on to his, and he was fixing to do it, to throw it at Wayne, so to speak. The chief of police, his name was Goodson, he looked at him in disbelief. You saved me the trouble by coming in. Why, well, I got so many warrants on you, you won't see the light of day. Why are you here, Clem? Well, I'm turning myself in, Chief. But before you put me in that jail of yours and your deputies take turns beating me, I got some information, and I was thinking, maybe if I give it to you, you'll let me go. Chief Goodson said, it better be mighty important information. So spill it. I ain't got all day, and the cell's waiting. Clem asked the chief if he heard about what happened yesterday with Mr. Hendershot. The chief said, yeah. Some mighty upset people in this town want to take justice in their hands. Think it's the old wild west. Judge, jury, and hangman. What if I told you, chief, I was in church, and you know that list of unsolved crimes you got against all those like me? Well, he confessed to many of them. And get this, chief, who was the dad of a little girl. He confessed to raping his daughter for years, even when she was little. Chief Goodwin said, Clem? Would you go on the stand and witness to this? Clem said at least 20 of us would. Then get the hell out of here. And with that, the chief got in his car to go to arrest Mr. Hendershot. To say the chief didn't like Wade was an understatement, but he couldn't arrest him because he was in the clan's pocket of protection. But now justice would be served, and he would enjoy putting him behind bars. He just envisioned him being raped repeatedly by some big fella named Bubba until he was dead. Yep. Justice would be served, but he would be first have to have his trial. Finally, I'm going to get to take him down, 
this local leader of the clan. The chief had been longing for this day. When the chief arrived at what would have been Wade's driveway, he got out of his car and just stared. The yard around the house had trenches dug around the whole structure and had been filled with gasoline. The entire property, the house, trees, everything, had all been burnt down with dragon's fire. The chief knew, he'd seen it before, what scorched earth meant. The clan has burned everything to purify it. The chief drove, the chief drove back to his office, got the deputies, local dogs, and returned where Wade used to live. The chief sighed, fan out into the park, let me know if you find him, and if you see anything, don't go near it. We have a potential crime scene. It took a few hours. Things were really getting humid out. And then a large yell echoed in the forest. I think I found something. Chief Goodman yelled back, Stay clear of it! The chief could see in the distance a circle of birds that were picking at something hanging from a tree. The chief ran over, yelling at the birds and chased him away. Now the chief in his 20 years of service has seen a lot of bodies and crime scenes, but nothing like this. The younger, younger deputies were throwing up. The smell was that pungent. If this was a man, there wasn't much left of him. His body was facing its back to the chief. It was stripped naked, and it looked like his body had been skinned alive. He was sure it was a male, because that's what was left. Its male sex organs lay on the ground under the hanging body. The chief just stared at the carcass. Suddenly the wind blew just right, and the body turned on the rope. Both eyes of the face were missing. The tongue was gone, and nailed to the chest was a sign. As the chief got closer, there were words written in blood. It read, The Unforgivable Sin. All the boys woke up screaming and went down to their grandpa, who had the same vision, only this time it wasn't a warning about the future. Now, Mr. Hendershot was forgiven by Christ, just in time, but had committed the unforgivable sin, not in the eyes of God, but in the eyes of man. Mr. Hendershot was dead. Now, some of you may be angry that Wade was forgiven by many he hurt, and by God, and he is in heaven. After all, he raped his own daughter for years. He beat his wife so badly she lost two children, hobbled a dog and watched him suffer, used women like toilet paper, treated people who were black in every inhuman way imaginable. You may be saying he didn't deserve to be forgiven. Some of you believe Wade got what he deserved. Justice was done, as the man who was lynched others was lynched and tortured to death. You, in fact, may find that he did commit the unforgivable sin. If he would have done any of those things to you or your loved ones, could you have forgiven him? Or would you be judge, jury, and hangman? Is there such a thing as an unforgettable sin? The Bible says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages that is earned according to Romans 6.23 is death. And in Hebrews 9.27, In the end comes judgment. And what are you going to be judged on? If you've sinned against God. You see, if it was us before God as judge, the judge, we would not want his judgment. We would want his mercy. Wade is no different, according to the Bible, than every human being that's ever lived. Oh, you might rate his sin worse than others, but God doesn't. All sin leads to eternal death. Wade may have had a horrible ending on earth, 
But that's because of man who could not handle judgment and mercy. Only God is perfect judgment and mercy. If you don't give your life to Christ, the ways of this world who repent will be in heaven forever. And you will lose out of the presence of God for eternity. This podcast episode is good news for the ways of the world. It is not too late until you quit breathing. There is no one who is not redeemable, only those who refuse to be redeemed. Now, I want to be clear. The purpose of this episode is to contrast God's forgiveness with man's unforgiveness. As a counselor, I'm not saying in any way, if you're in a relationship with someone who's physically, mentally, emotionally, or sexually abusing you or a family member, to stay in the dangerous situation. You need to be like the passengers on the airplane. You put on your oxygen mask first and then on your child, and then you get out of the situation. Men and women like Wade exist and can use anything to manipulate and even confessing they were wrong and swearing they will not do it again. The Lord is not saying stay with them, but he is saying you must forgive them. Forgiveness is not saying what they did was right. It is giving up the debt you believe they owe you for what they've done and give them to God. Can reconciliation happen and relationships be restored by Christ? Of course. However, it is not necessary for forgiveness. The Lord still leaves the choice to each person. What is the price if you don't forgive? Well, that will be the next episode, titled Blood for Blood.